Hi guys, I'm joined here by AJ Maestas from Navigate, the founder of Navigate and the CEO. Uh, AJ, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Marco. Glad to be here. So AJ, uh, for people who don't know your, your story, um, could you start us off with Alaska? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was, well, I was born and raised there, so that's 18 years, <laughs> but, but um, I'm really grateful to have grown up there now, you know, the perspective that comes from it, and I had this happy childhood, it was very interesting and different, um, but there was definitely a time when I thought of it as a disadvantage, <clears throat> you know, there was a time when it felt like I was behind, I, I was behind, you know, uh, people who grew up in the lower 48 as Alaskans call it, you know, where you're getting adjusted to social norms and just lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, it was, uh, it was different, you know, it's as wild, I think, as it gets here in the United States, right? That there's just interesting people that, uh, choose to be there and, and, or choose to move there. And, uh, I'm multi-generational. I was, you know, grew up in the same house. My mom grew up and kind of thing, but but uh, yeah, it's um, it's different, <laughs> you know. The great outdoors, brutal winters, um, super interesting, but very different people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, you've been through plenty yourself, right? How many times have you moved in your very young life? So I started out in El Salvador, and then I thought it was like the worst thing that happened to me. My whole world was crumbling. I'm moving to Costa Rica, um, yeah. And and I was, I remember telling my dad, like, "You're ruining my life." I was like eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, uh, just wait and see. And then I moved to Costa Rica. And then at that moment, I thought this is the best thing. Like one year into Costa Rica, I was like, this is the best thing ever. Like I love this, learned yeah. so much, spent there six years, and then it was like we're moving to the U.S. And then by that point, my mentality was so different from the first time I moved. It was, wow, there's so many opportunities to you know go to college in the U.S., do a lot of things in the U.S. that you cannot do in Central America. And I came in with a much more opportunity mindset. And then obviously it's adapting to a new to a new country in Miami. But then I learned so much. And then the pandemic came in. And then that was so much learning. And then moving to college at Massachusetts uh, was a huge change from Florida to Massachusetts. And one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, experiencing the four seasons has been awesome. Yeah. Well, well you know what? Uh, my story's not wildly different, but nowhere near as challenging as yours, right? Because just coming from Alaska to the to Seattle, just, you know, one time at age 18 is a lot different than the age you were and everything that you just went through. And, you know, um, English as a second language and some of those things that weren't challenges for me, but, uh, but yeah, it's not so different, right? I mean, you, you, it's scary and it's weird and you're not really ready for it until you're in the middle of it. Immersion is the only way. And then you start to see the good, right? And then you never look back. Yeah. So, you went to Seattle for college, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, during your, it was a huge change, I imagine, um, going from a really small town to a huge city with so much going on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's intimidating. It's scary. And um, yeah, there's no doubt. It's weird. But so, how many people go through this in their lives, right? So many people. And you, you know, switching countries multiple times. That's, it's nothing compared to that, but but I would say it's probably as culturally different as you can get within the borders of the United States. And so the, I imagine it was a huge reality check, just going here and, and then being like, whoa, this is so different. And at first, um, it does feel like you're 
like maybe I don't belong here because that happens when when you move somewhere new and you get that that negative mentality that that comes in like those negative thoughts are like maybe I don't belong here and then through time you find your 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 place you belonged and I imagine that's well I know that's something that you talk about in in your recent TED talk which um is going to be out in in some time and it's going to be a a really good way of learning more about you oh well that yeah I've the TED talk and my personal story being weaved into it is was not a dream for me, but they have great coaching that reminds you that if you want to tell a story that sticks, <laughs> there's some elements that need to be there. But but that's right. I, you know the the summary of that TED talk to save everyone the time and trouble of having to watch it would be that um, you know finding belonging through and community through sports and and you know what is at the root of being a sports fan and and some of these beautiful positive things that it gives you. But for sure, I felt very lonely. This is pre-social media. This is probably hard for you and your generation to even conceive of. But imagine moving to a city, having no one's phone number or contact info, having no friends, you know, having no clue of how you'll make those friends, right? Before school would start, as an example, going to college. So yeah, uh, sports was a breakthrough for me and and fandom and feeling connected to that city and even just feeling normal, you know, feeling like, you know, seen and connected to others because it is very intimidating. Seattle is metropolitan. It's just a giant city. It's uh, very progressive. It's tech forward. It's very international. It's very liberal. Um, that's the opposite of all the things, <laughs> you know, in the way I grew up in Alaska. So yeah, it, w- it was uh, scary, but wouldn't you say the same? I mean, you and I have talked about this before, right? Uh, pick, do, playing pickup soccer, club soccer, you know, you instantly have this point of connection when you move to Costa Rica and then Miami. And, and then I assume the same at UMass. Yes, it is. I, I feel like it, it's it's like a cheat code in terms of socializing because it does give you an initial point to connect. You see somebody wearing a soccer jersey, a Formula One cap, you know that those people have something in common with you. And despite the many things that make you different, all you need to actually bond with a person is one thing in common. And and if you're really, really open, it can be one difference. And being able to to go into a conversation, which I feel is something that a lot of people have lost today or a habit that's not being built. The having a conversation with somebody who's different and not being bothered or taking it as an attack on you, just learning about the person and leaving that conversation with things that you learned with an open mind. Oh, I'm glad to hear you say that. There, there's no question. There's way too many walls and way too few, far too few bridges, right? And And perspective and conversation and willingness and interest in learning. I love having, and I think you really do as well, really enjoy challenging conversations that make you think differently and um, are able to do so without uh, finding yourself offended, you know, really getting at the root of how someone came to that conclusion. You know, any of those sort of political divisive subjects, um, you know, are, are, are that way for a reason, right? They are unclear. They are debatable. They are you know, they pull people apart, you know, they kind of like categorize you. So um, yeah, I love those. I have fun with that stuff. Um, I even impersonate things that I don't believe in <laughs> to, to, to play those advocate. debates with friends. Yeah. Devil's advocate is fun, very fun. And you know, what you usually find out is that people's beliefs aren't rooted in the kind of stuff that you and I do every day at work at Navigate, right? Which is trying to get a really objective view on the world, trying to be comfortable testing your hypothesis, happy to learn something new because you are wrong, you know, eager to seek out new information and always being open to that new information. It's kind of the opposite, right? Of what are people are doing socially and politically and 
at least the United States right now, but you see a lot of this happening around the world as well, which is just looking to reaffirm what you believe, the echo chamber thing, confirmation bias. Um, it feels good. So I understand why people do it. It's like eating dessert, but, uh, but I'm, I'm not a fan of it. So a lot of this understanding data and telling a story through data, did you learn it from college or was, was it something that you learned after college? You know, I, I, I think like anything, it's a collection of all your experiences. I have a very skeptical, critical family. And so, you know, instead of just taking something at face value, we're, you know, prove it, show it kind of people. And that is, uh, can be a really bad thing in life as far as happiness, <laughs> you know, and, uh, being, you know, socially accepted, but, uh, but, but I think it's a healthy mindset, you know, sort of that scientist mindset, right. That I want to prove it, see it and, and learn something new. So I think that might be just a part of the, you know, my specific household growing up. And then school is just fascinating to me. I don't think I took school seriously enough, certainly not in high school uh, until I got to college. And, you know, there are just so many resources at the university of Washington where I went to school. It was just this crazy new world for me that, um, yeah, I think it became a point of differentiation or a skill set for me professionally. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, like so many people, you're trying to match that passion with that skill set when you're looking for a career. So yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things. I mean, if I wasn't, if I didn't have natural inclinations in these ways, right, you know, certain advantages or skills in this, then I wouldn't at all, right? I'd be the people I'm critical of that you know, make every decision on emotion and what have you. So you left when you graduated from college, what, what was the realization? What happened be, between you graduating from college and realizing that the entrepreneurial pathway is kind of your calling? You know, I got fired a bunch of times and, uh, you know, I was pretty indignant at work and unwilling to do the things, you know, that it takes to be a, a good soldier in a corporate environment. And I think it was, couple uh, self-assessments I took, you know, and, and you and I, I know you're a big fan of the Stoics and these Greek philosophers. So you'll know who said, know thyself, right? Yes. Um, know thyself. Was that Epictetus? Oh, uh, no, no, no. We'll let it linger. Uh, no, but I love that, you know, Epictetus and, and uh, Seneca. That's so awesome. And, and, and the idea behind know thyself would be just, you know, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to be lecturing if I go on. I took the time to take some objective assessments to really understand who I was and what my strengths and weaknesses were. And it was pretty clear I was unemployable in the normal setting. I just, you know, this contrarian mindset, this attitude, it's just, you know, that's too challenging for most people in a work setting. They don't want that. They don't like that. But for people like myself, you know, where status quo is totally unacceptable. And just because we did it that way last year is just almost offensive, you know, <laughs> to hear someone say that then, you know, you realize, well, you're, you're going to have to do it yourself. So I think I knew for a long time, and both my brothers are entrepreneurs. I think it's just a family trait when you're not fit to work for others. Um, and um, so, uh, yeah, and then I went to grad school, this sports MBA program at Arizona State, much like what you're going through at UMass, where it gave me great exposure to the industry. And, um, you know, I got to see quickly, there was this arbitrage opportunity to do what Navigate does, right? Bring quality information to decision-making you know, strategy based on real facts and science and, and the things people were saying on stage at conferences back then is like 2003, 2004. It was very clear that there wasn't serious rigor there. So um, I guess, you know, the, the, you know, trying to marry your avocation to your vocation and 
fit it into that specific space. That's that's basically the story. But but yeah, yeah. Um, so then you started navigate, and I imagine those first couple of years, those are the hardest years in entrepreneurship. Those are the years of the make or break. Those are the years that you have to make those like really important hiring decisions. Um, how did you navigate those first years? You know, you don't know what you're doing. That, that's 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 one of the problems with um, that's one of the problems with uh, uh, you know starting a business is if you're really knowledgeable, you went to business school, you know the pros and cons, you can quickly talk yourself out of it, right? It doesn't make sense that you almost need a little bit of naivete, right, or overconfidence or something. Um, so I didn't know what I was doing. So the cool things that we do culturally at Navigate that you've experienced, the way we treat people, the you know what training, onboarding, you know all that stuff. I was kind of learning on the job. I think I honestly got in my short career before starting Navigate. You know, I started it at age 29. The That short career up to that point, I think I really learned more lessons of what not to do versus what to do. I, I know that's kind of sad to say, but yeah. So um, it, it, it it was learning on the job, but I think that's the reality of life, right? Like I, I, su I suspect a lot of people who listen to your podcast are peers of yours and in school, grad school or undergrad. And and uh, the idea that you're going to have all the knowledge you need from school is laughable. You're just learning how to learn. You're getting some base knowledge. You're showing that you can show up at time, get things done, you know, that you're worthy of taking a bet on in the beginning of your career. And then you'll actually learn when you're working. And and it's really about being a lifelong learner, uh, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of what school is going to teach you is theory and not application. And I think that just learning a lot of things in theory is not going to allow you to see the how how it how to actually apply it in life you need to in business like marketing at navigate the, this internship has given me so much knowledge in terms of taking marketing classes in college it's a lot of theory it's a lot of terms definitions but once you get into marketing you notice that there's big differences and that marketing has so many different uh, steps that are not on textbooks, that marketing is a lot about collaboration, ideation, brainstorming. And it's about trying new things. And I, that applies to every field. And especially in sports, is it's an industry about innovation. It's about doing something or looking at something that another team or another organization is doing and trying to do it better. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I don't want to completely dismiss school, right? I mean, you need a base knowledge and you need to learn how to learn and interpret. I mean, I think the whole world would be a lot better if we were better critical thinkers and and our reading comprehension was better, right? We could see through, you know, the bullshit, kind of understand, you know, when to question something, if it seems biased or legitimate or not, or what have you. There's a lot of that you can take from school. Um, and it's a really strong indicator on your aptitude, right? And some of these things, but but I but I do believe that, you know, it's basically testing and measuring, you know, some basic skills, you know, these certain, you know, this what we think is this meritocratic environment in, in education is really sort of these key skills that are tested. But, you know, how would one test creativity? I, I would argue that massive value creation comes from creativity relative to analytic ability. Um, but, you know, who's testing for that? And is that a priority for major universities? Is that reflected in your grades? Pretty unlikely. There's this quote that I'm sure is not accurate that supposedly Einstein said, uh, everyone's a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree and you get the rest of it. Um, so yeah, I agree. You get out in the real world and um, how often is that academic excellence really related to performance? 
when I was in grad school, uh, my stats professor had this awesome chart he showed, and he looked at success in business school as measured by your GPA, and it was tightly correlated with GMAT scores, the, the exam you take to get into business school, which makes sense, right? Grades, you know, kind of same subject matter. But then the next uh, chart he showed looked like, you know, a completely random, just scatter plot of data points. And he basically said, this is uh, the GMAT uh, scores and a very similar slide for your GPA in business school as correlated with income. Now, income is not something I would call success. That's not a great way to measure success, but you go to business school to make money quite often. And, you know, it's, it's at least quantifiable measure, right? That you can look as people move on in their career and how ironic, right? And now what's going on if everything we measure to say you could get into business school uh, leads to those good grades and it measures that well, but that is not correlated with what you earn when you leave over those, you know, following decades. Well, I'm guessing it has a lot to do with sociability, the ability to sell, to get along with others, to, you know, you know, trust, creativity, you know, these things that are not really reflected. So anyway, I, I'm going on too long, but as you think about school, the advice, you know, I've taught at a bunch of these sports MBA programs and probably been in front of a thousand grad uh, sports grad students at some point in my life with at least a guest lecture, if not a full course. And um, my advice to them is 40% vocational, get internships, externships, build your resume, build your personal advisory board, et cetera, et cetera. 40% um, networking, you know, connecting with folks, right? So vocational, real experience, connect with folks, networking, and leave that remaining 20% for school. You know, you can learn 80, 90% of the material with half the effort if you're not concentrating on grades. And if you're in grad school, what are you showing your parents your grades? I mean, it's over, you're in grad school. You're not gonna use these grades to apply anywhere again. So get into the real stuff because um, the real stuff, unfortunately, is so radically different than the classroom setting. And one of the big, the, the big things that one of your big traits is curiosity. And I feel that's something that has, that, you know, it, it tells your story as well because you're curious, you have achieved a lot of things that are based on having that initial thought of like, why does this happen? Why is this? It's an intrinsic motivation to find a why, to find the reason behind the success of, of something, the reason why uh, a team uh, a team's um, sell, sales are underperforming, the reason why there's an opportunity in this, why women's sports is one of the next big waves that's going to create a lot of revenue in sport, why collegiate sports are moving a certain way. So how did you achieve, uh, kind of, you talked about culture at Navigate, how did you get that to move up uh, from top down to navigate and spread. And it's kind of like the whole culture of navigate is based on curiosity and family. Well, I think curiosity is so important, right? You heard me mention lifelong learning before. And I just, I think that's the root of, if you are not a finished product, when you come out of college, which you're not, and it's really about having a growth mindset and being open to new information and learning and growing. And, you know, the only, the only constant is change. I mean, you can be sure of that, right? In your whole careers, in your life, this is all phases of your life, not just professionally. So adaptability, uh, right? There's many people who consider the ultimate intelligence adaptability, right? We are here because we have adapted over time. It's not the strongest of us, we are the smartest of us. But um, do you want me to back up for a sec there? No, yeah. And it's it's not just um, the, the fact that you created, you know, and navigate. That's something that, it, was it through hiring the right people? Was it by attracting the right people um, that you created a company that consistently gets awards from front office sports and um it it's one of the best working environments to work in um i know from interning there how it's a family 
family-like setting in which people contribute a lot to other people's projects, in which people celebrate the wins of other people and challenge each other. Kind of, um, it's a great place for innovation. I'm so glad to hear you say that because, you know, I, I really don't think I get credit for it. There's no doubt that ultimately I fund it or I make space for it and I want it to be that way. And it's what I dreamed of when I started Navigate, but I don't actually actively invest as much as I should. Jeff Nelson, our president, you know, he brings great humor to every meeting, right? He's so thoughtful. He, he has people top of mind. He's so kind. That's who I want to be. And then I find myself super busy and it just slips. So the truth is, is uh, I appreciate the way you asked this but earlier, which is, you know, how did it become something that wasn't just top down, that it's, you know, bottom up and in all directions? Because most places you see, I do think you can blame the top for bad culture, right? It just, it, it just is what it is. And it's usually someone with a scarce mindset and so forth and so on. So yeah, I'm really grateful to hear you say that. I wish I could give advice on exactly how I did that because I really don't know. It's what I wanted to have happen, but I don't know exactly how it came to be because I can be really harsh. No, not compared to normal people in a work setting, but you know what I mean? Like my nature is to, you know, not, you know, lead with love, right? And start with that mindset. So yeah, I'm really proud of what it is. What a family. I mean, I can't wait to hopefully someday you join us on a serious retreat. It's It's one of the craziest things I think about the connection everyone has. Very few people have a group of friends that could break out into a dance party in such random locations and so much love and connection and hugging and support and kindness and truly knowing and caring about one another, um, let alone coworkers. I, I, I really, I, Jeff Nelson said at our last retreat, you know, Navigate is a one of one. And I love that because I'm sure there's someone out there doing this in sports, but I don't know who they are. And it does feel to me like we might actually be a one of one which is amazing. And I, I noticed that it's something that transcends just Navigate because the, the way you interact with clients and actually friends of Navigate, more like that, because it's a really, how can I help you type of relationship? It's a very, um, you, know, you know, I saw this on the news. What can we do to help you out on this? You look for opportunities to help others. And that's something that I imagine that's where Navigate is positioned in the sports industry at the moment. It's about helping companies, um, sporting organizations look at, you know, opportunities and be able to actually make the most out of it in an informed mindset and knowing all the things that they should know before trying something. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and earlier we talked about, uh, know thyself, right? <laughs> like, you know, thinking of the young people that, are, that might be listening to this, you know, what an unbelievable advantage you have if you, know what kind of environment you want to be in and you know what you want to learn or where you want to go and you align yourself with someone that will help you get there. Someone that is supportive in that way, someone, coworkers, a boss, you know, that wants you to grow and learn. These people exist, even though there's very few cultures I've seen in sports all around, right. That, uh, that are that same way. I do know there are managers that are that way, right. That really are rooting for that person, trying to help them grow personally and professionally. That's certainly our goal at Navigate. So yeah, know thyself, right? Take these assessments, especially while you're in school and it's free or cheap to do so, and really get a feeling for your strengths and weaknesses and where you're supposed to be. And then find that manager that lines up with that, you know, match up with someone who gives you the chance to do that. I, I yeah, I'm really proud of our people's growth and the company's growth and where people go when they leave here and all those things. Um, and I think it's pretty uncommon, but, uh, but I wish I could say I get full credit for it. I don't, <laughs> you know. And during your time in the sport industry, which has been a long time already, um, 
how how do you manage to continue uh, keeping up with these re working relationships that you know become friends in the industry? How do you you know we there's so many big names that you have on your phone that you could make a call or like text. How do you network your way to keeping those alive? Mm, God, I, I you know I I traveled like a madman you know early in my career and had lunch with anybody and everybody who's willing to hang out and have hosted endless dinners and things like that. And I really can't pinpoint exactly, you know, but there's no question that, you know, connecting with people in person authentically, um, as you know, in our dinners, we ask pretty, you know, serious, deep, meaningful questions. You know, it's not like a bunch of business stuff. No one gets pitched, you know, by us that we're, we're learning about their business, getting to know brainstorming, things like that. I think some of those things contribute to it, right. That it's authentic you know, when you lose that job, you're not suddenly someone we don't care to talk to. <laughs> right. Um, but, um, but yeah, when I was, you know, your age in grad school, I really, really was, ugh, I guess there's nothing, there's no replacement for the energy and time you put into it. And that's so unfair because an introvert, it's just going to be such a challenge for an introvert energy wise to, to do that. But, but I'm an extreme extrovert. So I actually really enjoyed it. And those people were real friends, you know, and became real friends. And, when you get to be my age, you know, I'm 46 years old. Those people have been through three or four or five, six jobs sometimes, you know, since you originally knew them, you have no idea where they're going to end up. And if they're an authentic friend and you truly care about them and you have their best interest in mind, it, it, uh, it just kind of starts to just happen. That flywheel effect of, of course you have to do good work and serve them well. But, um, I would say network with the long range in mind, not like what you can get today but what you can do for them in the short term and truly know them as people and, uh, and then just relax. It'll take care of itself. If you're meant to work with them, you know, who knows what saying thing, you know, who's saying what behind your back that may never hire you, but they may be a great promoter or a great reference or the opposite. Um, these things catch up to you in a world as small as sports business. So um, poof, yeah, there's no question. Um, but I wish I could say that there was some sort of recipe to it. Um, but it is amazing. You know, people you're kind to are kind back to you. There are people who will say such nice things about Navigate. And I think, I wonder if, like, I don't even remember ever working with them professionally, <laughs> you know, but they just have a, a, an idea in mind or a friend said we were good. So, yeah, and we need more of that anyway, right? In sports, we're all naturally competitive people, but yeah, there's plenty to go around. Our industry needs plenty of help in rising the tide. And, you know, one of the big points of advice, I think one of the key takeaways from our conversation that people listening should should definitely apply is know thyself. What are other pieces of advice that you would give students who are in my position um, that are trying to look to break into the sport industry to have that first job? Well, you, you know, you have to deliver when you get that job. But, um, but I would say first, know thyself, pick the right job, find the right thing that's a fit and then go above and beyond. I'm not saying kill yourself just because I worked a bunch. It doesn't, it's not necessarily the right way to do it. You can work smart instead of hard, but, um, but find a way to go above and beyond to, you know, really contribute to that place. Jim Kaler, the longtime executive director at Ohio university. And now he's at Cleveland state. He, um, you know, he talks about building your personal advisory board Impress at least one or two people at each internship or job or enough that they are someone who will legitimately go to great lengths to vouch for you and open doors for you. And then um, there's this great Thomas Jefferson quote that I love, which he says, never neglect your education for your studies. And I guess that could go to the pie chart I drew for you, which was 40%, you know, vocational experience, 40% networking, 20% academic. If 
but um, that's a little extreme, but you get the gist. Um, the point being is someone gives you a chance to do an internship or externship or, you know, a mini internship over your holiday break, uh, you know, for a bowl game or something, or, uh, you know, you could do a, a cool spring break trip and get drunk, or you could take your spring break, you know what I mean? And work the final four or something like that. And I would say, <laughs> yeah, well, you get what I'm saying. I, I, I don't have to, I don't have to finish it, but, um, but uh, take the opportunities to grow completely wholly in real life and maybe de-emphasize the whole classroom experience. And I imagine a lot of this perspective that you you have for, for life, your perspective that you have on the world comes from your upbringing that we already talked about and also traveling. You've traveled a lot. Yeah. What have you learned traveling the world? I, I, I'm sure that I've learned more traveling than I have, you know, in, in any other method, maybe reading. I'm, I read probably a book a week, but, um, but yeah, you know this because you've lived and experienced such different cultures, but there really is no replacing, you know, learning history when you see it and touch it and feel it and smell it. And, and, um, and I think the perspective of people in those settings, you know, when you put yourself around good people and you meet interesting people, um, almost everything we do is, is going to be about, you know, connecting with motivating, um, uh, collaborating with other people. And, um, it's, it's typical, I'm guessing most folks listening to this will be Americans and, it's just, you can understand why we are so ethnocentric. We have this big, broad country with all these climates and all these different cultures and such a vibrant economy and education system. And, you know, why leave our borders? You don't need to. So you get away with, you know, the luxury of not having to go anywhere. But um, uh, even though it's far, you're going to have to fly for most places across an ocean. It uh, It's irreplaceable. Perspective on life. I mean, what are you really doing professionally in chasing sports? You've identified you know, that you want to do something you love for a living or something you enjoy. That is getting on the path of happiness and pursuing, you know, fulfillment and happiness. And that is a lot more than just work, right? Think of all your relationships and life and all the choices you make with your physical and mental health and wellness and community and contribution and all these things. There's no, there's no platform for learning those in the way that you would by seeing other people's lives, plights, and, and, you know, amazing gifts. So yeah, travel, no question. And the other thing that you mentioned is reading. And one of my favorite books is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Mm. Um, have you read that one? I have not, but that gives me, I'm, my list is running short. So I'm going to write that down right now. So the concept of a personal legend is what's, um, what's um, explored in that book. The concept of the idea of there's a greater calling that a lot of people reject and and it's a calling that in a way is kind of like your highest purpose is the most fulfilling thing and a lot of times it takes a lot of work but if you want to chase it and if you work hard enough the universe is going to conspire in your favor so have you do you feel like you you know your purpose in life or have you or at least one of them have you achieved something that you feel like i was born to do this I, I think for, for now, I think, yes. Um, but, uh, but it changes and it's changed a ton just in the last three years. So I even have like a statement that a friend of mine, Gilang, uh, Gorka buddy in South Africa took me through an actual process to kind of refine my life's purpose, which is currently, uh, to help people meet their full potential so they can serve the world at large. And what I really enjoy about it is that that could mean coaching and investing in my coworkers. 
which, you know, you could say, oh, that serves yourself and that serves navigate, but it, and it's, but it serves our clients as well. And, you know, their full total growth as a person is, you know, rewarding, but that could be your family, your friends, that could be philanthropic, you know, uh, uh, you know, investments you make in the world around you. So it applies to like all the ways in which I hope to make a positive difference. Um, I, I, I think that if you don't have goals written down and they're going to change, if you don't have some kind of a mission statement, uh, which it will change over time, but but if you don't have a mission state, there's just no question. I won't bore everyone with all the evidence on this, but uh, but uh, as far as motivation goes and um, getting stuff done, there's no question setting a goal, sharing it with others, holding yourself accountable. Um, you know, these things radically increase the likelihood of those outcomes. So if you know you want something, if there is somewhere you want to go as a person, uh, for God's sakes, you know, set that goal and share it with a few folks. Think it through, spend some time meditating on that. Think through what could go wrong, right? And how you'll overcome those obstacles. And uh, even if you don't hit that target, you know, what do they say? Shoot for the stars, land on the moon, you'll get further. There's no question. So yeah. Um, Better to uh, work towards something. Yeah, yeah. And and that's a cheesy statement I shared as far as my personal statement, but yeah, that's that's my intent. And it will change, I'm sure, over time. But um, but it's been roughly in that direction for about a decade. And I feel like even even through Navigate, um, you're providing those opportunities. I can I'm, I can talk from my point of view and how much I've grown being at Navigate as an intern for well since June, for almost for over half a year. I've learned so much, and I've also learned about people. Because that's that's something that I talked with Jeff about on on another podcast episode. I asked him about what makes navigate so special. He says it all goes down to the people. When you go when you go to work every day, and the people that you work with are truly genuine and make you happy, and they're authentic, it is such a difference. It's not just about finding a job that you like, but it's finding a job in which you're with the people you enjoy being with, and. I, that's something I learned through Navigate. I learned that it doesn't have to be, you know, a lot of people go into the sport industry thinking, I want to be the GM of an NFL team, uh, NBA team. Um, but then you learn with internships like Navigate, they're truly transformational, that it's not just about having the, you know, the really nice title of like GM of a team. It's also about being in a place that allows you to be creative, to take I would say I'm a, I'm a really intrinsically motivated person that allows me to kind of find my own role within the organization and kind of propose a lot of ideas, get creative. That's something that I've learned is valued a lot at Navigate. And I'm, I've really enjoyed that. Oh man. That makes me so happy to hear Marco. Like that, that's a, that's wonderful. I mean, just to have, if that is the only impact we were to have on your life and your career, that would make me super happy. Um, you know, these are going to sound like wholesale statements, like don't take this, you know, all of this, but you know, if your goal is to be a GM or your goal is to win an award or something like that, I would ask you to reassess and say, you know, like, why, what is at the root of that? And what will you get when you get there? What happens? All the research on happiness says when you get the title or you retire, you get the car, or you get the whatever that you are almost instantly back to your normal self as far as like your level of happiness. So usually we are victim to some thing in our life that's making us per pursue this, you know, significance or it's an ego thing. And instead of saying, I want to be a GM or a team president or whatever it might be, I'd say, 
I want to, you know, I want to master this skill set, or I want to contribute in this way, you know, through sport. I, I think by working at a property, I can best impact young people and health and wellness in the world or whatever, right? And that makes room for your ultimate contribution, maybe not to be the GM, but to be, you know, someone who creates some amazing business around, you know, assessing talent and health and wellness or whatever. So it's more like malleable to the changing, you know, reality of what's going to happen in life, but it, it just gives you a safer place to land, right? Now, the outcome might be that you end up a GM because you become the best in the world at identifying talent and someone's skill and what their ceiling performance is. And it might end up not being physical. It might end up being in the mental realm, right? Or something like that. So you'll, you'll be the money ball of the social sciences, you know, and, and human performance. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I would beg people to, to want to do the things that lead to you getting that job, but not to get the title, <laughs> right? Not to do that thing. Um, Cause yeah. Wow. How many of us end up where our goals are when we're 20 something? Um, very, very few, but that doesn't mean very few of us achieve what they're supposed to achieve. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 But, that man, that makes me happy. That's very stoic because it, it is about controlling what you can control. And then the rest, it's about that dichotomy of control. There's what you can control and it's your attitude and the goals of helping others. The goals, if you set purpose-driven goals, you can control that because if you work toward your purpose, that's really rewarding. But then there's only a limited amount of GM spots open. There's only a limited amount of, there's only one commissioner for the NBA. There's only one commissioner for the NFL. So noticing that and knowing that, okay, I need to focus on what I can control, mastering these skills, not getting this job. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and boy, you might be setting yourself up for disappointment if you, if you want one of those 30 or 32 GM jobs in, you know, that league and God, maybe your impact on the world could be so much greater than that. There's um, a couple of motivation books I'll share that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, one of the fellow speakers at Ted when I went was uh, I let Fishbeck who wrote, get it done. And it's pretty comprehensive on motivation and, how to change. Um, I think that we are far less in control of our change in behavior than a lot of people think. You know, um, this is a, this would take us down a path of free will and getting into the stuff and the Stoics and the philosophers that I know you love so much. But um, if you agree with me that we're not near as in control as our destiny and outcome as we might think and when we're young, then you have to put yourself in a position where you are less likely to eat that bad food at home or you know, skip the gym or whatever it might be, right? And so you can set up parameters. A, a, an easy layman's version of that book would be um, Atomic Habits, where, you know, it gives you specific tactics and tools in which to, you know, sort of better yourself and, and change your behavior. And it's not thinking real hard or just wanting to real bad. That's not how you do it. So um, yeah, I, I'm just trying to share things that I think might be helpful for your audience. Um, but um, imagine if you combine the power of change behavior that I'm kind of describing, some of the stuff that we learn and do at Navigate, right, in the social sciences and the behavioral economics world, uh, combined with, you know, a goal that um, does allow you to control what you can, you know, this realistic goal. So yeah, yeah, uh, that would be what I would wish for. And then combine that with know thyself. And that's what I would wish for young people. <laughs> And there's one last last thing that I, I really want to touch on, and it's authenticity. If I were to, to to ask every navigator about you, and I imagine a lot of the people you've networked with, a lot would say that you're authentic. You're your authentic self. 
and no like I, the, every time i talk with you i feel like you're very authentic you speak who you really are you don't try to to be this um this this person that you're not you're always being yourself you you're very open about your flaws about your strengths that's something that is really admirable and how how does that being authentic what are some of the benefits and some of the downfalls of that but obviously the benefits are much greater well thank you that's such a nice compliment i hope that's true because you know we're certainly when you're young you're never fully yourself it takes time and maturity and we never get there right this isn't sort of like a thing with a finish line but i'm really happy to hear you say that well i i i went through a core values exercise which was really helpful to me and uh, at least under this person's viewpoint the if you, one core value is true for all of us which is self respect if you don't have it you know forget everything else for me the others the other two of of three total were um honesty and courage and it does take courage to be vulnerable or honest about your strengths and weaknesses but you know it, it but who cares and there's probably some people who dislike me because i can definitely turn people off i'm socially weird i like to have those challenging conversations but um, there's no question that you're not going to reach your total potential or live a happy life if you are trying to make everyone happy all the time. That's not possible. Usually, if you're being a decent person and you're doing right by folks, when they're upset with you, it's actually their problem, right? It's something, it's, it's, it's yeah, you know, they've got an issue. If you've heard someone say in psychology, if you spot it, you got it. You know, if you're really annoyed with the habit or behavior, or you're calling someone out for something, pretty good chance it's core to you as well. I know that happens for me for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I wish everyone could have the luxury to get comfortable with themselves like that. I'm not 100% there, but I'm trying. Um, but that's a, a kind compliment. I'm, I'm trying to think of what gets somebody there. Hmm. Well, introspection I, for sure. Yeah. Introspection. I mean, life's short, right? Can you imagine? you know, we've all seen probably the research on your, you know, you're pulled and drawn to the people like you, you're most like the X number of people you hang out with. There's a great book called Connected, which talks about as much as three people removed from you, you know, so pe people you don't even know, but are friends of friends. But then there's pretty much no impact beyond that, you know, sort of three layers out. Um, if you think about that, and you think how, and if you read that book, you'll understand how significantly you're impacted by those you're around and the, by the people they're around. Well, then you wouldn't suffer fools and you wouldn't spend time with people that don't sort of share in some of your core values, right? And I think that's probably the best thing that would come from being your real authentic, honest self is not trying to, you know, fit in in some place where it's just not meant to be. Um, but anyway, I'm rambling, but I'm just trying to think of the things for young folks where God, you know, what essentially, if I knew then what I know now. Yes. Um, and there's one final question that I want to ask you. I ask this to every person that's ever on the podcast. And it's one, what is one question that you wish I would have asked you? And how would you have answered that question? Oh, I love your questions. I, well, I appreciate it. Let me ramble like that. Um, that's such a good question. There isn't something where I'm wishing you had asked it. But, um, but if I can try to share the things that I wish I knew, maybe when I was your age, um, there's a really cool exercise you can do. You can do this with yourself. Like take, take the three minutes it takes to do this, which is essentially 
there's a long version of this. You could Google meditations where you sort of picture your child self and your innocent self that isn't, you know, couldn't be held accountable for anything. You know, you're, you're only a victim of your environment and biology and what have you. And then how would you speak to and treat that child? That's a more exotic version of this. But the quick version would basically be uh, write yourself a letter from your, uh, your 80, whatever year old self on your deathbed the, with all that wisdom and a whole life lived, what would that person say to you today? So you can magically uh, travel through time and deliver a letter to you today. Marco receives this letter from your elderly wise self. And what would it say? The answers I hear quite often are, you know, whatever's meant to be is meant to be. It's going to work out in the end. Don't sweat the small stuff, right? Like don't, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, it'll come in time. Um, it's all going to end up. Okay. You're going to end up in the right place. And this is when you're going through some of the worst things. Like I'm going to fail this class or I didn't get in the school I wanted to, or, you know, my partner broke up with me or even worse as you get older divorce and, you know, just all the massive things in life. Um, yeah. If you could just give yourself a little more grace, but yeah, give it a try. Write yourself, I guess for your generation, I'd say, write yourself a text, write yourself a quick email, <laughs> right? Take just two, three minutes the things that your oldest, wisest self would tell you. And the odds are, because you already know it right now, you should be doing those things. And then I would say, take your own advice. <laughs> Use it. Yes. AJ, thank you so much for this. Um, I've learned a lot. I, ah, I really have. Yes. And I, conversations are one of my favorite ways of learning. Stories. I love learning about people, stories and in industries. And that's what I hope this podcast can do is tell the stories of the people in the sport industry there's many podcasts that do that cover the recent events in sports but there are not many that focus on telling the story beyond just you know what my job is because there's so much that you can learn about a person about their mentality just by having and mindset just by having a conversation with them about passion and i'm glad that we have so much so many things in common in terms of passions and thank you so much book recommendations um, introspection. Those are really important things. Uh, look, I'm going to do more assessments of myself. That's such mm -hmm. a great opportunity to learn because so many times we already know something, but we do not act on it. And if we do an inventory of what we know, we might find an insight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that, by the way, do, do you know, was it, uh, do you know who said know thyself Socrates or Aristotle? I, I, I always mix it up. You know, off the top of your head. Okay. Well, we didn't even talk about uh, the the Stoics, which I know you're passionate about. I can't believe we didn't talk about Marcus Aurelius, given your passion for him. So, next time, huh? Next time. Um, but yeah, well, if 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 there's like a bonus insight for people, definitely read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I cannot recommend it enough. I recommend it all the time. I I I truly believe it's a transformational book. Yeah. Yeah. And, but as you and I have discussed, cause I agree what an unbelievable thing. He didn't think he was writing a book for those who are, are listening. It's really just his notes to himself, but, but it's basically incredible wisdom. And it's one of the most appreciated and well-read books in, in history. Um, but like me, like you, like all of us, he's a flawed person. I, I remember the last time we chatted about how he ended his life by putting his incompetent son in charge. He just couldn't resist, despite all that incredible wisdom. He just nepotism. He just couldn't help it, and uh, and that was the end of the Roman Empire. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one last thing: How can people uh, keep up with what you're doing? I know that you're you're very active on LinkedIn with Navigate and your own LinkedIn. 
uh, Twitter is a good place. And definitely, I imagine, um, check your podcast, Navigating Sport Business, a great source of knowledge connecting. That, that can connect you with a lot of people because you get to listen from AJ and Jeff and people in the sport industry, a lot of people who, who are the ones moving the industry forward in different directions. Yeah, that, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. You know, if you get LinkedIn with me, uh, AJ Maestas on LinkedIn or or just navigate our business, we publish a bunch of thought leadership, which I think is really valuable for people in their career. You know, we don't try to make a, a white paper that's 20 pages you have to read, like just little snippets on cutting edge issues. It, it almost all comes from research we're doing for clients when they're willing to share it with the world. And our clients are paying us a lot of money to see around the corner of what you know, is happening with fandom and the next generation and the future of the media marketplace and, you know, growing uh, brands globally from domestic, you know, clubs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All, you know, if there's a hot subject in sports, we're almost certainly working on it. And then our thought leadership stuff that we publish would be a way to just sort of get some of those snippets. So our hope is that that stuff is not selfish, but instead is educational and helpful to someone's career and job. So yeah, get LinkedIn, follow yeah, and the Navigating Sports Business podcast sure listen to it we we the, almost everyone we interview is a client or a friend and um they're pretty impressive people to learn from so thank you for the plug and mentioning that and um thank you for taking time to chat marco and the ted talk by the way the TED yeah, talk. yeah yeah we'll see yeah thanks so much aj all right thank you i'll see you